This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So, uh, Justin, WTF yeah. is GDPR. That's what I want to know. Is <laughs> You know, you know why I want to know that? Because uh, I just went on the marketinggeekspodcast.com website where you can see the Marketing Geeks podcast information. And guess what? You're asking for people's email addresses. And I noticed something else. What's that? I noticed that uh, you don't have a GDPR little notice on there. There is a privacy policy there, though. There is a privacy policy. Yeah, but... but it, you don't have like that cookie policy that like click thing where you got to like pop up at the bottom. None of that's there, dude. Well, by the time regulators listen to this episode, it's going to be there. And it was there the whole time as far as they're concerned. That's right. Well, you know what? Lucky for you, we have somebody who's an expert on these things and will tell you what the heck is going on. And there's even a new law that I didn't even know existed. And uh, it's called something with some letters we'll find out what it's called on the show today yeah that's right ladies and gentlemen welcome to the marketing geeks another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for joining us on the Marketing Geeks. So today's guest is the founder and CEO of Red Clover Advisors, which is a boutique privacy consulting agency. Uh, Jody works with businesses in every industry and uh, to help them better understand and stay compliant with the ever-changing regulations in privacy, customer data, uh, collection uh, of data, digital governance, all that stuff. And uh, she uh, has done a great job in understanding the challenges of building and managing a business or brand when it comes to compliance. Uh, you don't know what you don't know, as they say. So she works to simplify privacy laws and get you back on track to do what you love. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, Boys and girls, Jody Daniels. 
Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> I, uh, I am, I am so stoked. We, I, I, uh, I, I, this is actually kind of an interesting thing because, uh, as our listeners, our seven listeners know, I, I live in uh, the Netherlands and they take this GDPR stuff rather seriously. I mean, really, really seriously to the point where, uh, I, I I have a, a my main client right now. I'm doing some work with them, and when they first brought me aboard, they were like, "Yeah, we want you to manage our email marketing because we uh, we haven't really sent anything out." And so when I really looked at what they had at first, I was like, "Oh, no problem, email marketing. That's that's not a big deal. I don't know why you guys haven't dealt with it." But uh, when I see like what the requirements are to actually get people to opt in on a list. We ended up with like 18 people and uh, getting more people to grow that list is quite a task. It is quite a task. So uh, there are so many rules involved, made my head spin and you know, the, the, the things that we got to put on the website, uh, everything. So I am so stoked that you are here, Jody, because I want you to help me and my listeners kind of cut through this amazing chaos and, and help me, please. I need your help. That is the goal. That is what we're here for. Try and simplify it. Try and make it not quite as complicated. <laughs> I don't like complicated. So Jody, Jody, I have, I have a quick, uh, quick question here. So can you like, I know this is going to be a, a tough ask here, but can you kind of give like a brief summary of the GDPR? Uh, Cause we're, we're going to have some listeners that probably have no idea what it is. We're going to have listeners that are pretty familiar and then we'll have some expert listeners yeah. on this topic. Along, along with the history, a little bit of like why it got implemented and where we are with it. That'd be cool. Yeah. Absolutely. So the GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation. It's the EU's new privacy law. It was effective May 2018. So we are in what I call kind of the toddler stage of this law. And it really updated existing privacy laws called the Data Protection um, regulation. And it, there was sort of one for each different member state in the EU. And, you know, it, that had passed in 1995. There wasn't really email marketing back in 1995. There weren't a whole lot of tracking <laughs> cookies and retargeting and DSPs and all kinds of fancy technologies. There, there wasn't real AI, not outside of a movie, or at least not that I was aware of. So if you fast forward 20 plus years, it was time to update the privacy laws to match the kind of data that was getting collected, used, and shared in today's global and digital economy. And basically all the different member states. And if you can imagine each member state, and a member state is a country, so Germany and you know, the Netherlands and the UK, because they're still part of it right now, and France and all these other countries, right? All of them are member states. They all have their own data protection authority. Imagine a group of government officials tasked with making sure that data privacy is front and center and companies are doing what they should be doing to the law at that time. Short version, they all got together, took years to update it, and voila, we have now. GDPR. Now, what's really important for marketers to understand is there's actually another law that hopefully next year we can start talking about because it's still getting worked through of the update called the e-privacy directive. And that's actually what controls digital marketing. But imagine concentric circles, GDPR, e-privacy, they overlap. 
So in today's world, we have a lot of GDPR that we have to deal with, plus the old e-privacy. Marching forward, we'll have the current GDPR in the new e-privacy. When, when is that rolling out? Well, they're still arguing over it. Um, a few countries have to kind of finalize, and there's some politics at play. No. It should have been, honestly, it was supposed to have been implemented at the same time as GDPR. Then it was going to be at the end of last year. Then it was going to be this year. It just keeps getting. And, and how, Jeff Bezos says, wait a little longer. I know. I know. <laughs> and how, how does this differ from uh, like the uh, GDPR? What's the difference between this rule and the GDPR? So e-privacy, which is in effect today, is actually what controls digital marketing, meaning email marketing and text marketing. Um, and what I mean by that is it says for B2B companies, you can follow these rules. And actually even by individual country, they have their own rules. And for B2C folks, this is what it is. GDPR comes along and GDPR is around the processing of data. And it's a long list of very specific rules. And where the, the overlap comes in is it says to process data, you basically have to fall into one of six categories or six buckets. The most common for marketing is consent or something called legitimate interest. So over in the e-privacy world, I might, if I have to um, have consent to be able to send an email, I have to meet these kinds of criteria, but then I have to follow GDPR's level of consent. Then I have to follow GDPR's privacy notice requirements. Then I have to follow GDPR's individual rights requirements. Like if I want to opt out of an email, ePrivacy says I should be able to opt out. But GDPR says I should be able to be deleted from the system. Is this like the right to for, for right to be forgotten yeah. type thing? Yeah. The right to yeah. erase your right, right for forgotten. They're, they're all the same concept. And my understanding with this is that even though they have the right to be forgotten, so instead of just being unsubscribed from the list, their data has to be deleted. Now, if they have a transaction history, that can be saved, but as an anonymous contact. Is that, is that kind of how it works? That was my understanding of it. Because if you want to keep your financial records intact, you're going to need to still track that financial data. Uh, but it needs to be like, it needs to be made anonymous, right? It does not have to be made anonymous. It's very dependent, very transaction dependent. Um, it is reasonable for you to keep a history that says, I um, sent Jody Daniels this package um, and here's my address and I bought these five things. I need that for tax purposes, for legal purposes, for business purposes. So it's, it's kind of dependent on what the situation is, which means businesses have to review really every single request that comes in. Mm -hmm. But from a marketing standpoint, I have to delete it from my system. Did I share it with any third parties? Did I share it with a contractor or an employee? Is it on a Google Drive and a Dropbox on my computer? Where else might it be? Did I print it? I have to find it from all those places and delete it. Wow. And any extraneous information that I didn't need for the transaction would also need to get I mean, I mean, this is this is great because uh, you know I do believe that that this is a the question of our time, isn't it? Number one, uh, I, I love that this is all about consent. It's one of the words that I'm teaching my four year old. He's he just turned five uh, as a as a little boy that uh, he needs to know this word and what it means and the importance of it. Uh, but that's a side issue. Uh, but, uh, but as far as, as far as, uh, th this idea of controlling your data, 
we, we, you know, we have a generation of, of people who just are like blase about it, but, but your data is worth a lot of money. And, uh, I, you know, basically all of my data has definitely been lost on some level, especially with the, uh, like the Equifax breach and, uh, some of these other breaches by <laughs> Facebook, like Yahoo breach, a million of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So, so I'm glad that this is being addressed, but the, but the question I have is this is like with all these laws going into the into effect is it possible to even put the genie back in the bottle well it is a little challenging for all the data that's already exposed at the same time you know we have so obviously all the personal data that's there it, it is challenging right there's so much that's already exposed and, and there you also have all kinds of other data, especially that marketers are using that have been around creating profiles of people and sort of this digital footprint. And I've had the chance to listen to the people who literally wrote and are responsible for the implementation of GDPR and the e-privacy directive. And they have said, kind of quote, that these are all about allowing an individual to take back their digital footprint. And the way I like to explain this is imagine someone, you know, follow you when you left your house in the morning. And they made a note on a piece of paper that this is the kind of car you drove and where you lived and what kind of coffee you had and where you dropped your kid off at school and where you went to work and what you had for lunch and so on and so forth the whole day. And did you use cash or a credit card too? <laughs> did you use cash or credit card? What did you buy for lunch? And what gym did you go to? And did you take a yoga class or a spin class? And what did you have for dinner? And what shows did you watch? And what song did you play on your Amazon Alexa and write the whole thing? It, you would turn around and say, why on earth are you stalking me? No way. That's how I met my wife. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different podcast, Andres. For everybody else, they might say, who are you? I don't know you. And why are you stalking me? And that's what we do online. And, and I did that. That's how I got to privacy. But this idea of kind of this digital footprint, and then all that data gets collated and created into profiles that I have no idea if it's right where it went, I have zero control over it. None. I don't even know what's in it. And then decisions are getting made based on that. That's, that's interesting. And, and you're right. I mean, um, yeah, the, the amount of psychographics, demographics, um, just everything that's being collected on people is kind of out of control. And, and if you've ever been on the back end of Facebook advertising platform, and, and they've actually cracked down, a, they've actually reduced some of the targeting features, but it, it was pretty incredible for me. Like, because the data is not just from Facebook. They're buying, they're buying third-party data and adding it into this ad targeting platform. It's not just like what you've done on Facebook that they have. They have access to like how many credit cards you have open was used to be one of the targeting. I think they removed that one now. Uh, were you a homeowner or not a homeowner? And, and, and previously, you could target based on somebody's ethnicity even. And they've now, I believe that's been fully eliminated. Yeah. In fact, so, here in Europe, uh, there's whole swaths of Facebook marketing that have been completely taken out of the um, choices that you can make. So it's interesting because if you do Facebook marketing here in the, in, in the Netherlands, there's a lot of like uh, demographics that you cannot even uh, touch, but that you can in America. Yeah. Not anymore. Right. And that's <laughs> right. because they are sensitive data fields as defined by GDPR. And yeah. so they can't, they can't really do that anymore. And if you kind of understand where these privacy laws came from, a significant part of them really emanated from, from World War II. And so much of what's in the sensitive data criteria under GDPR is very much qualitative. It's race, you know, um, religion, philosophical views, um, health data. 
sexual orientation, criminal, all kinds of things that if misused could have some significant impact to an individual. Yeah, they, they're kind of sensitive to that World War II stuff over here for some reason. I don't know why they, they haven't gotten over it. <laughs> I know. Um, on a serious note, that makes me happy. Um, I understand it makes marketers a little frustrated, but I, I really do think if you kind of understand where things originate and why they're here, it makes it a little bit better and easier to understand. And from Facebook, you know, they also get data from a variety of apps and yep. they're also cracking down on data that has come in from apps that shouldn't have. Now that's, I mean, it, that's a great question because uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but 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 I just want to touch on this point, which is uh, there are there are a lot of data sucking apps that exist out there, and they don't make you agree to any GDPR stuff. And then that data is sold to Facebook or sold to a third party, which then sells it to third party, fourth party uh, marketing companies. How how is that rectified? Well, you have to hope in two ways that first, those kinds of companies start getting identified from, you know, the, the bodies that are trying to monitor GDPR and either it'll be from two ways, either they find them or more likely you'll have consumers and hackers who kind of reveal them and it bubbles up from the bottom and everyone who happens to be processing data on, on those in the EU should be complying with GDPR. However, we know that there's gonna be some who aren't. And for those who aren't, we have to hope that consumers get smart. And I think over time, they'll keep understanding what this means. And there's more privacy laws. I mean, we're gonna talk about GDPR, we're gonna talk about the new one in California, but there are more coming around the globe. So this kind of, new privacy era is here to stay. And I think in time, you'll start to see that the app makers are going to struggle. Will you always have your bad actors? They'll always find a loophole, but we'll hopefully have less and less of them and more quality data as well. And I think as the accountability kicks in and they start actually enforcing the fines more and more, and I know they're doing that a little bit, probably I think they're more going after the big companies right now. Uh, that will likely scare some people into obeying the new laws as well. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about email marketing because, uh, you know, I do a lot of email marketing. I, I do copywriting for companies, things like that. Um, but I, I run into a lot to this day of people that buy their lists. Uh, they're not consent-based lists. And, you know, and the, and the workarounds that people are using right now is they'll run through these softwares that will basically scan through the list and tell you if they're bad emails tell you, I mean, if they're no longer valid, but people are still cold emailing large lists of people. And um, I mean, it's, to be honest, it's not, first of all, it's not that effective because if it's a cold list, it tends to not be very responsive. Um, but second of all, how is this changing? Like, let's, let's touch briefly on like the CCPA, for instance, the CCPA is the California Consumer Privacy Act that's about to go into force in January, 2020. So how will something like this, this kind of practice, which is very, very common, and I think a lot of listeners probably do this. I've done it myself at times. Um, but if you're purchasing a list, for instance, and you're, you're, they're not consent-based, how is this going to affect that kind of transaction? So the new California law, CCPA, actually does not bring over the same consent requirements okay. or legitimate interest requirements like GDPR does. You don't have to have basically a lawful basis to be able to use data. What you have to do is disclose in your privacy notice, 
the kinds of data and how you're using it. So the company should then in its privacy notice say, you know, we've, we use third-party resources to be able to find information like email addresses and we would contact you. I would disclose that. Is that a combination of like that notice that pops up, the cookie notice that's uh, letting people that know that you're collecting data if you're pixeling it uh, and also the actual privacy policy or how, how is that going to need to be displayed uh, for visitors of the site? Sure. So let me break it down a few ways. Let me start with the cookie notice. The cookie notice that those of us listening in the United States are seeing are the carryover of sites complying with GDPR, and they're just choosing to keep the cookie notice in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's actually not there for a U.S. cookie requirement. There is no requirement right now that requires that. Um, For the email piece and the ability to be able to, to email you, so let's say I got this list, I also don't have to have a cookie notice and I don't have to tell you kind of right away in some type of pop-up. I can still send you the email and I can still have it in my privacy notice that would say I get emails from third parties and I use it to communicate with you. You have the ability to opt out. I've complied with California, which says I need to explain what I'm doing and I've complied with CanSpam because I've allowed you to have the opt out. However, what's going to happen is the company that actually gets the list it got it and it sold that data. And underneath California, there are new requirements around the sale of data. Mm. And what's important, and I'm sure we'll get into it, the sale is actually not just dollar for dollar. Now, these lists happen to be dollar. A business pays the list company money to get it. Yep. But the definition of sale is much bigger. So in this situation, what's going to happen is the company who gets the list, they really have to comply. And to comply, I have to be able to opt out of that list kind of like a do not call type situation, I have to be able to opt out of that list. So in time, that list should be smaller and less meaningful, which means companies are going to buy less of them because they're going to even be not as useful. And I think that's already happening a bit. I mean, <laughs> because again, like the, the trend in digital marketing, and I go to a lot of conferences and things like that is, is smaller, but more engaged. Yeah. Um, because all, I mean, a lot of these algorithms like Gmail and, and Yahoo, for instance, they're, they've really cracked down on, if you have a, if you're emailing consistently to a, a, a relatively large list and the majority of them are not opening, it, it increases the likelihood that you're going to end up in the spam box. Um, if, or if you're using certain words in the headlines and things like that, like all this stuff is, is it's harder and harder to get in the inbox. So a lot of marketers these days are, um, it's not about volume as much as it is about quality or not about quantity is, is about quality these days is what I'm seeing. Yeah. And we, we talk a lot about like finding your niche audience and really speaking to them. So that's one way to uh, avoid this stuff. But one of, one of my questions I have here is, is okay. So I'm looking at the marketing geeks website, which is the, uh, the, the temp site while I slowly build the actual <laughs> website. Uh, thank you, Justin, for putting this up. But, uh, but I'm noticing on our website, we have a, you know, I want the updates, give us your name and email address. But we do not have a GDPR notice on this website. So is that bad if we're like a small time sort of, you know, we, we get the names of our seven listeners? What? <laughs> what? How, all over the world. Yeah. How, how do we handle that? Like, is, is this something that we need to really worry about? Is this something everybody needs to worry about? Yeah. So GDPR does not have a, like a minimum threshold. You can be you, a small podcast you know, reaching a global audience. What I would say is if you're 
actively trying to reach a global audience. You're trying to get people around the world to opt into your list. If you have your pixel set for global, maybe you're using Facebook retargeting pixels and you want a global audience, that puts you in scope. There's some very specific criteria for who GDPR applies to. And you're offering goods and services to EU residents um, or you're trying to, you're, you're marketing to them. There's no, you have to have a certain number of employees or a certain number of revenue or anything like that. I could be a solo blogger talking about healthy living, which is my fun pastime. And if I was trying to make that a global site, I want everyone from around the world, especially those in the EU, I'd have to comply. And, and what happens if we don't? I mean, what, what are the, what, <laughs> what are you going to do about yeah. it? <laughs> what am I going to do? So it's a fair question and I get it a lot. And a lot of times companies say, but I'm so small. Why do I need to do that? And, you know, look, first, the reality is, is a regulator going to find you? Probably not. It's kind of like when you drive down the highway and, you know, those speed limit's 55 and you're going 70, the likelihood of that someone's going to catch you and give you a ticket is only as great as there's a person hanging out there by chance going to give you a ticket. But most people kind of are mindful of that. They're, they're, they're trying to balance that. So is a regulator going to come? It's less likely compared to the bigger companies. However, your customers are starting to be really savvy and are understanding what, what's happening with their data. And they're looking to companies to explain to them, well, what are you doing with my data? And they're looking to companies to show them a trust experience. Like, is this a trustworthy company? Can I trust them when I hand over my email? Are they going to sell it? Are they going to share it? Are they going to spam to me? What are they going to do? It's an opportunity to communicate with you know, anyone. It's anyone's opportunity to communicate with the customers that come to your site to be able to say, look, I'm, I'm a brand that you can trust. Thank you for giving me your email. I'm going to give you amazing content. And I'm also going to do these things with it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to store it. I'm not going to sell it. You're going to do it. Or maybe you are going to sell it. I don't know. But then say that. So what are, what are some best practices for smaller businesses, for small to medium-sized businesses, let's say, um, people you know, in the, around the million-dollar threshold or a little below that? What, um, what is the best practice on their website to comply with, or to be as compliant as possible um, with these guidelines? I've, I've seen it where there's like a checkbox to say, like, I live in the European Union, have like a separate checkbox when they subscribe to the email list. Is that what you would recommend? Or how, how would you recommend structuring the opt-in side of things on like a, on, on a, again, like on a smaller business website? So it kind of goes to how the business wants to treat its customers. Do you want to segregate your EU customers from everybody else? Or do you want to treat everybody the same? And I see a lot of companies moving towards an opt-in approach only for everyone, in which case it doesn't really matter if my EU folks are separate from mm -hmm. my US folks. And from an individual right perspective, when we have to think about California, um, now there are some thresholds for California. I, I would argue the end customer might not know those thresholds or think that your business is too small for them. I would probably think we should just look at this as kind of the new way of doing things today. 
I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't recommend the EU side versus the US side. I would, I would encourage everyone to kind of treat them the same. However, with that being said, there are some flags in the, uh, each different email service provider has them all a little bit differently, but there's some flags in there to kind of help you set up and make sure that you have the right GDPR pieces in place for the email marketing. For a cookie banner, there are a variety of different low cost, free to low cost tools to help you with the cookie banner. And again, that is why you're seeing cookie banners across the board because some people just find it easier to put them across the board. The one thing I will say for the cookie banner is the way the cookie banner is supposed to work is the cookie banner fires, the person hits accept, then the cookies fire. It's not really mm-hmm. supposed to be a cookie banner and the cookies fire all at the same time. Yeah, that's probably happening on like 1% of websites, I would imagine. I know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so let me ask you, Jody. what? My job is to tell us how we're supposed to do yeah. it. <laughs> I didn't say everyone was going to. And then a privacy notice, you know, the last externally facing piece is to have a privacy notice that explains what it is that you're doing. Yeah, totally. Okay. You know, it's kind of funny because when I first started building websites, like uh, uh, in in the year of our Lord, uh, <laughs> 1920, uh, I, you know, back then there was this whole argument about like, when you get to a website, it's like, would you like to enter the website? Hit okay. You know, like people did that where in, that was a practice that people said, no, don't do that. Don't like, you know, it's like putting someone in front of your shop and saying, don't enter, you know. Uh, until you say, do you want to come in? So it's kind of funny because the whole point on marketing is getting people to the right information that they want as quickly as possible. And now it's like, I got to click like 15 times just to get to the page and start interacting with it. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it, it, do you think that there's going to be an easier way that, that all of these pop-up notices and privacy notices and things Will something happen? Like, will will I have like my own key that will just be able to go into different websites without having to do that? Like, what do you see the future of this being? I think a couple different things. First, there are some, um, I call it people, organizations trying to come up with a better user experience because the pop-up notices everywhere are kind of, they're ugly, they're getting annoying. It's it's not a very meaningful and great user experience. Mm-hmm. But for now, this is kind of where we are. Um, And with California, I think you're going to probably start to see some more. I think you're going to have more companies honestly putting them up. And you're going to definitely get another wave about how amazing their privacy notice is. But I also think we're going to start moving probably beyond cookies. With GDPR, there's a significant impact that's happening to the ad tech world and everything that's in between. Within Facebook, I can go into Facebook and I can say, don't track me um, pretty easily and and not do that. The browsers themselves are blocking third-party cookies and moving to do the same for first-party cookies. We're moving, I think, to a different era of marketing. And I think in a couple of years, if we have this conversation, we won't be talking about cookies because I don't think we're going to have the same kind of cookies. Does blockchain play into this at all, you think? Blockchain's an interesting conversation. There are certainly some, some strategies and companies trying to, to use blockchain for advertising purposes. You have some people who feel like it helps GDPR. You have some other people who say, no, it doesn't really solve the GDPR thing. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. 
I think it's ultimately trying to get to the idea of tracking and stalking and collating information because I did something one time and then I'm going to retarget you is just not as meaningful anymore. And we've ended up with where we are, which is thousands of companies and, you know, piles of data and people feeling like that's not accurate. And so now we have some significant privacy laws trying to manage. Yeah. I'd like to steer this now. Um, Let's talk about the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, because I think it's around 90% of our listenership is in the United States. And a a lot of them are either aspiring marketers, they're marketers, or they're even corporate marketers working like CMOs and people like that. Um, What does the CCPA have in store for people? And a lot of, I mean, I talked to a lot of people here in California because I live in California and most of them aren't even familiar that this law is even coming. So how serious is the CCPA? What's in store for us? And how do we prepare ourselves for the coming changes? It's a great question. Right before we recorded, we were talking, I was in California last week at a conference and everyone I talked to had no idea what this law was. There's definitely uh, an education gap. It yes. is the first. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't even know it existed till this conversation. Really? Yeah. Well, you are, you have some company and hopefully at the end, you're going to be very familiar with it. This is a law that was passed June, 2018 in response, quite honestly, to Facebook Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. It is effective January 1st, 2020. It is the first state privacy law of its kind and has some GDPR-like parts to it. Not all of them, but part of it. And what it does do, it does have some minimum criteria. So first, it applies to businesses that do one of the following. You do not have to have all of them, just one. You earn $25 million of global revenue. You collect 50,000 data points, either alone or in combination. Somehow you're collecting, sharing, selling, receiving 50,000 data points. So if anyone- Clarifying on on that point. So if you're using like, so if you're using Facebook's data points, that's not going to count as you collecting the data points, correct? That's right. But if you had 50,000 website visitors, that would count. So if you have 50,000 website visitors and you collect one data point on each, does that, does that count? Or is it, do you have to have 50,000 data points on each person? Oh, no, just 50,000. Total data, data points. Like total. Okay, so that's interesting. I have 50,000 different people who hang out at my site. I am in scope. Is that a per month, per year, per day? What, what, what kind of threshold is that? Everyone's using annually. That's not, a, that's not that big of a... Nope. <laughs> most companies, <laughs> I, I think, that have any sort of legitimate following will get 50,000 annual exactly. visitors. So that's, uh, okay, that's a low threshold. Exactly. Uh, but technically speaking, you will have people who say, well, I only have 10,000. And my point back to you is going to be, A, do you want to grow? B, are you ever looking for any kind of investment? Because now privacy is a top, uh, hot topic. And C, are you going to answer to a customer who asks you something and reply, well, I only have 10,000, so I'm not in scope of this law. <laughs> Which doesn't sound so great. Do you want to be proactive or reactive is kind of like the real it's, thing too. <laughs> there are people who will look at it that way, and that's a bit of the answer. That's lovely. I think we should move you upstream a little bit. Um, so the next is the if you sell data and you earn more than 50% of your revenue from the sale of data. The sale has a very unique definition. As I had mentioned before, it can mean sharing, disclosing, or other valuable consideration. 
but I still don't think this is going to have a lot of people. Most people listening are going to fall into that 50,000 data point mm-hmm. bucket. Once you fall in, there's a variety of privacy notice requirements. If you updated for GDPR, that's fabulous. You're going to still have to update for California because it requires a few different things like category of information and um, sources of information and who it's being shared with. And then additionally, you'll have to be able to honor many of the individual rights like you do for GDPR, that right to delete, uh, right to access the right to opt out of the sale of information. And if you do any of that, I can't discriminate against you. So those are kind of the big ones. There's a variety of others as well, uh, but that's sort of the high level. What what about data mining companies outside of California that are selling to Californians? Um, Are they impacted because they're they're selling to a California consumer? How does that work? Uh, Great question. It applies just like GDPR applied globally. If you were selling to those in the EU, this is the same. If you are a global company anywhere in the United States or around the world, and you are selling to California residents, which I will tell you that California residents is defined by the tax code. That's a whole nother question. How are you going to figure out that you're only a California resident, which is why most companies are just applying this for everybody. Yeah. This is just a new floor that is here to stay. And you're, you're so you now have everybody um, here in scope. The other thing I think that's important is a lot of the marketing data that's shared between companies, kind of the ad tech pieces, a lot of that is kind of construed and considered potentially the sale of data. So, and if anyone actually sells data for real, what happens in the sale of data is I have to be able to opt out So like you've seen the cookie banners everywhere, what you're going to see are uh, like a a link, a button on websites to allow an individual to opt out of the sale of data. And I have to have an email to opt out. So in my privacy notice and potentially, I'm sorry, wait, you have to have the opt out button and a toll free phone number. Or if you are an online only business and have a direct relationship with the customer, you cannot have you can kind of forego the phone number and have an email instead. So if you're an online only business, you don't have anyone's phone number. um, You don't really talk to people. There is no 1-800 number requirement. You would just have to have the opt out button and an email address that I could say, opt me out of the sale. And Andros, this this may affect you because aren't aren't you still like a a dual citizen? Or do you have some partially in California here, buddy? Well, I I, I still have a US passport, but my business is uh, registered in Oregon. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but okay. Well, let me, let me ask this. So, so you, you hit on this point about the right to be forgotten, which is like a, a big thing. If I do want to be forgotten, do I have to go to each individual company or do I have to, is there like a one place that I can kind of be forgotten? Like a global do not call list kind of thing. <laughs> There's no global do not anything list yet. <laughs> Do not <Yeah>. spam. <laughs> no, but but I that might be something that will come. I'm sure there'll be a company that says, gosh, this is an opportunity and be able to be that central place that talks to all the other companies. Because in, in time, you're going to see more and more of these. California is the first state. Companies are treating California as sort of the floor foundation, but there are other states that are coming. 
Well, let, let me ask you this, Jody, because uh, if I wanted to say get my podcast website compliant, uh, for instance, I'm asking for a friend. Um, I could do, uh, I, I could call, uh, or I could go to redcloveradvisors.com, which is your website and you have resources there. But let's say that I'm just like a little tiny podcaster. What would be the, the quickest, easiest way for me to become compliant? Um, well, I still would encourage you to come to redcloveradvisors.com. However, absolutely. We <laughs> leaked down at the bottom of the description of the show. Um, <laughs> The key is, you know, there are some form notices that are out there. The key is you just, you have to understand what these notices are and what data to put in them because it is a legal document. I mean, even in the United States today, there's a legal requirement from the state of California and its existing privacy law from the Federal Trade Commission. Then you have GDPR and these new laws. It's a legal document and you want to make sure that it's representing you accurately. A lot of times people go to their best friend's site and just copy what they have, but you've just copied what your best friend has for their business, not for your business. Is that, is that legal uh, if you do that? I mean, I, I, I would believe that if you copy it and it was created by like an attorney or something that um, you might be doing something illegal there too. What, what's the, what, do you know anything about that? If people are copying and pasting other privacy yeah, policies? I, know, I, know, I don't actually encourage the copying and pasting. Yeah. I know for sure that people do it all the time. Um, and you know, there's a lot of forms that are out there and, and you, I can easily spot a form because they're exactly the same. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of companies use templates and templates are fine as long as you understand and you've thought through all the pieces that have to make sure it's in the right template. So you have to understand to comply with any of these things. You can just take a piece of paper, a Google sheet and say, what kind of data am I collecting? Who is it going to? What am I using it for? And also think about all the different um, marketing pixels because Facebook has some special language that needs to be in policies and almost very few have it. Google, Google Analytics, also Google AdWords, Twitter, they all have very specific language that they want in their privacy notices that you, the user of that service, needs to put in your privacy notice. So you kind of have to take an inventory of these are all the pixels that I have on my site and then be able to create a notice from there. So there are templates that are out there if you don't want you know, to kind of go through um, either a professional privacy consultant, a professional attorney. There are some templates. If you Google, you'll find them. My advice is just please make sure that you really have the right information that goes in them. So this is fascinating uh, stuff, and it goes really, really deep. And obviously, we can't talk about everything in our, in our short podcast interview here. Uh, so I wanted to change gears a little bit and talk about you and your story. Um, so tell uh, what what got you into the field of privacy? Uh, where, where, like, where did you start, and how, how did you end up as like a, a leading privacy consultant now um, for these uh, uh, for businesses and for marketers? So I started my career in accounting at Deloitte in the audit practice, and then from there I went to Home Depot and I did finance and strategy. My next hop was at Cox Enterprises, and I spent almost a decade. It's a big media conglomerate for anyone who doesn't know. And they own autotrader.com. While I was at autotrader, I did strategy work for, for Cox Enterprises. While I was at autotrader, I created a behaviorally targeted ad network before Facebook ads even existed. And I stalked people for cars. I followed you around the internet, put you in, you were searching for a Honda Accord, and uh, 
So you're the reason Honda. I have this car that I have. Yeah, right. I sold to Honda. <laughs> hey, you want to target Honda Accord shoppers? Or I would sell to a competitor of Honda that you wanted to conquest them. And from there, we built this targeted ad network. I did it for a variety of years. And my entree into privacy was honestly the online advertising associations, the big industry groups kind of banded together to honestly prevent government legislation. They came out with this thing called ad choices, which companies are supposed to be adhering to if they're doing targeted ads. And it, it kind of grew over the last decade beyond targeted ads like cross-device marketing and mobile and things like that. I was responsible for our compliance. I thought that was really interesting. I was looking for a new job. I created my own role and I started the privacy program at what is now known as Cox Automotive. It's um, autotrader.com, kellybluebook.com, and then a host of B2B companies that most folks don't know unless you're in the automotive industry. So I created the privacy program for them. I then went to Bank of America and was the digital privacy lead there for several years. And I left and I celebrated two years at Red Clover Advisors, founding that in August, 2017. And I just, I was kind of done with the corporate thing, 19 years. That was, that was fun. And I said, on to the next journey, and here I am. Good for you. Now, now let me ask you, because I, 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 I don't want to minimize this part. You're working for uh, Bank of Apartheid. I mean, Bank of America. And, <laughs> and uh, you, you, uh, there must have been a part of you that you're working for, for the bank, and you're thinking, I got I, I to gotta get out of here. So what was that moment, if you could talk about this, like what was the, the, the point where you're like, that's it. I, I'm no more corporate America. I'm done with it. I got to do my own thing. Can you tell a little bit about that journey? I think it honestly started before I had joined the bank. I just wasn't quite ready. I felt like I needed a little bit more time, a little bit more experience. I knew, well, actually I didn't know if it was going to be privacy or if I was going to do something else, but if it was privacy, which was, I was leaning towards, I felt like I needed a little bit extra experience. So when I was there, I kind of was always waiting for the right time. And I think for me, it was honestly confidence and belief that, okay, I can do this and be willing to take the risk. I mean, I left with no clients. I, you know, I didn't have a silver platter of, of, of here's my set of clients. Some, sometimes people have that. I just left having done a lot of due diligence and leveraging a fair amount of relationships. And then finally saying, I just can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I had some personal changes. We had, we were switching my daughter's school. I needed more flexibility. I was finding that I, I just didn't have enough flexibility for what my family really needed. And I was kind of tired of a whole bunch of rules and I like rules. I, you know, I'm in a business about companies following rules and I think there's a place for rules. But for me personally, I just felt trapped and I couldn't handle being trapped anymore. Life was marching on by and it was time to do something. And I made a personal goal of being out by the time my daughter started her new school. So my first day of work was my husband's birthday, my daughter's first day at her new school. And so it was a triple three. Oh, nice. Nice. Cause I mean, let's be honest, working for corporate America is you're working in a dictatorship. It's not, <laughs> you know, you, there's no freedom. You, you know, you, you have to be somewhere and 
I think that's why we all decided to work 80 hours a week. So we didn't have to work. For <laughs> I describe corporate America as soul deadening. That's yeah. how that was my experience. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so interesting place. <laughs> so you, you, uh, so you took, you, you, you made the leap and was that, was that something that was scary for you? Uh, was, did, did you, did you have enough saved? Did, did you work it out with your husband that you were like, okay, we can, I can build the business. Did you have clients lined up? Like what was that first moment like when you really gave your notice and you built the website and you're like, okay, it's on. And wait, to tack on to this question, did, did the, did you see an opportunity with GDPR coming down the pipeline too? Because I, I, was that one of the opportunities that made you go, Oh, this is the perfect time to start a business. I will be hundred percent honest. I did not have the GDPR thought process when I left. It was ridiculously amazing timing. And I certainly took advantage of the opportunity as I started getting out in the marketplace and people kept asking me, I need GDPR help, I need GDPR help. But I can't say I left because I had that amazing yeah. crystal ball. And it was- Cause that was like a craze for a while with the GDPR yeah. thing. Like I, we, I think Andres and I even talked about like starting consulting for that. And we're, and like, we're like, oh, we have to really, really dive into this if we're gonna do that. Yeah. So we decided not to. We gotta learn <laughs> stuff and read? Ah, forget it. <laughs> Let's do a podcast instead. Yeah. We'll defer yeah, to people there, like you. There you go. Now, now, now I can be, I, you got a privacy person to help you here on the, whatever new ones are, are coming along. But I left, I had left with a freelancer, kind of like as a subcontractor arrangement, but there were no clients when I left. It, there was just, you know, we have like the paperwork in order. And honestly, it was a couple months before any of that even materialized. What I certainly had saved, you know, um, and we kind of as a team, my husband and I had decided as a team, this was the right time. And we were just going to figure this out. And I had built up enough relationships. I had done a ridiculous amount of networking and I was just going to give it a shot. And um, from there, once you leave, it's then you have to do it. You, you have to figure it out. I was very fortuitous with GDPR and I, I had some opportunities that I really took advantage of. Um, one in particular was someone they asked what I was doing. It was someone I had just known for a couple of years and I was discussing with them, you know, here's, here's what I'm thinking about. They asked me, I get a lot of questions about GDPR. Maybe we could do something together. I said, great, fast forward. It's a YouTube webinar that we did, or the webinar we did together on YouTube. That's at 86,000 hits now. Wow. And people are still listening to this. You know, did I know that I was going to do that when I left? No, but I listened to someone and took advantage of the opportunity and, and took a shot. I had no idea what would happen. If one person listened to it, I thought, great, one person. That's wonderful. Look at my experience. I did like one. And so I feel like anyone, when they're looking to take that next step, you have to believe in what you're doing and you have to try some things and maybe it's going to work and maybe it's not. I've done lots of other webinars and I think truly one person has listened but for the number that I've done, you never know which one's going to work and which one's not. And it's a matter, I think, of, of just trying. Probably not too different from a, a marketing campaign, right? You do as much analysis as you can and you think about, well, we'll review what happens afterwards and adjust for mm -hmm. the next one. Yeah, most of them aren't a home run on the, right off the bat. Usually you have to make some adjustments and ultimately uh, make them successful. Yes. So it's been great. I don't look back. Every day I wake up with a significant amount of challenges and I love every single one of them. 
Wow, that's that's uh, that, that's an amazing story. And 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 so when you when you went to go find your first clients, did you just pick up the phone and and like make calls to people that you knew? Like, hey, I'm doing this business. Like, how did you get your first clients? I did a lot of emailing and calling of, hey, I've left. Let me tell you what I'm doing. And that was how this first kind of webinar came out. And then as a result of those kinds of conversations, there was someone I had worked with probably three or four years prior who had a client and they needed some help on GDPR. And I worked as their kind of GDPR project manager and did a significant amount of the documentation alongside this external counsel. And then from there, um, I just kept networking and kept explaining to people and trying to find the right channel partners. And I really enjoy public speaking. And so much of this new privacy world is education and helping companies understand what it means for them, what it doesn't mean for them. There's also, there was so much hype of what was real and not real. And I would go and try and just explain in plain English, here's what this new law is. Here's, it didn't scope. I had some clients and I would say, this doesn't affect you. you. You don't need to do this. And so they weren't a client. You know, I would just be honest with people and try and get out there as much as I could. I did a lot of local speaking. I wrote some articles. I would just like old fashioned marketing 101 yeah. kind of yeah. get my name out there. That's one of the things, in fact, uh, the, the podcast that we're doing right now is kind of an offshoot of uh, Justin and I were doing a lot of public speaking and we started getting asked to do talks at a lot of different companies. I, I really uh, miss doing that w with him. But, uh, you know, for those of you listening and who are building your business, yeah, doing uh, uh, public speaking and talks for your area of expertise is really a great way to get clients. Yeah. And from a theory standpoint, I think it's not, not only does it give you great visibility, but it also positions you as an authority in your field. Whenever you're on stage or you're running a podcast or whatever you're doing, um, it's instant credibility, uh, earned or not, it's there. So it's, it's kind of that whole uh, perceptual thing as well. It, it's real. I mean, over the last three weeks, well, two weeks, I was in California three times delivering different messages all in California now. We've, we've switched gears to CCPA, uh, but it's very much around education. You just never know where things will happen. It was a conference a year ago and someone just called me because now they need help. <laughs> yeah. so funny I had them one year ago. <laughs> yeah. Those things do definitely lead to other things. Well, well, we've got to wrap it up here soon, but I, I got a, uh, one more question for you. What do you do uh, to keep your data private. For me personally, I have like a VPN that I use depending on what I'm doing. I have uh, Ghostly, which is a, a Chrome plugin. I have the uh, like an ad stopper. Uh, I also use Privacy Badger, which is pretty good. Uh, so what, 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 do you, what do you, and then Do Not Follow, which is another one. What do you do uh, to keep your privacy kind of in check? So I don't think I have anything special to add to the list that you've just done, but there is no Alexa in our house. Oh, you don't like them. You don't like Amazon listening to your private conversations. We are an Amazon junkie in our house, except we do not have any Alexas and echoes and other smart talking or listening devices. And we, I don't use Siri either. Hmm. Yeah, me neither. Actually, this leads me to a very interesting question because, you know, people have said over and over again, like, uh, 
that they believe that their phone listens to them and then serves them ads, which <laughs> I actually believe is possible. However, I, I, I tried some experimenting here in Europe and it doesn't seem to work. People here in the Netherlands don't notice that. Is there a possibility that they are doing it? Uh, some, like there's some GDPR loophole in the States that they can't get around here? Probably. They, they uh, most definitely. I've seen people do it here. Hmm. Yeah, I've experienced it. I've experienced, I've experienced that eerie, eerie thing where I say something out loud and then an ad appears and it's like, I didn't visit this website. How, how did this find me? <laughs> yep. There's, there's lots of that. And, and then I have a fun Siri story. I was presenting with someone on at a marketing conference and then Siri just started talking while we were on stage. Oh, that's fun. Oh, wild. Yeah. wild. <laughs> it couldn't have been any better. Here's my privacy conversation. And Siri wanted to join. Man. Siri's like, Siri's trying to interrupt you and stop you. Like, don't tell these people this. <laughs> so so if you could just project into the future a little bit, where do you see, uh, you mentioned this a little bit, but just give us a, b- a bit more of kind of your future prediction of what the internet looks like, where, where you see it all going in the next few years. All of it. Everything. Yeah, I think there's going to be, for good or bad, and I always like to tell people, I don't make these laws. I, I'm just here uh, to help you get through them. But I, there's more laws coming. Uh, we didn't even talk about Brazil, but Brazil has a GDPR-like law coming August 2020. Hmm. There are more states looking to have laws like California. There's about nine to 12 of them literally on the docket that are up for review and many others kind of quietly reviewing. So you will see more privacy laws. And most people don't know, but every state has their own data breach law. There are 50 data breach laws. Imagine if there were 50 different privacy laws. And and that is a real possibility. People ask me, will there be a federal law, a national law? That is a very complex concept here in the United States for a long list of reasons. I actually do think we will get one at some point. The sooner I don't think would be as advantageous because I think it would just get cobbled together very quickly with not enough thought in play. It's like throwing a dart if that's going to happen. There's politics at play. I have no idea which direction that's going to go. And globally, you're also going to see more privacy laws. Canada's pretty strong and they're already looking at updating theirs. Australia has some conversations and so on and so forth. And overall, I think you are seeing a consumer trend that they want better control of their data. And the US, two thirds of Americans want better regulation. They don't really trust advertisers. They don't trust social media. And you're kind of seeing this resurgence of this idea of trust matters, privacy matters. And I think you'll see more first party data, more email marketing. So if anyone thought email marketing was dead, I think it's here to stay. And you're also going to see, I think, more creative ways to connect with and individuals. Yeah. So Disney, uh, so Disney, I don't know where that came from, but oh, business, okay. <laughs> business in the uh, business in the privacy sector is booming then, huh? Um, it is. It's in its infancy and kind of moving forward for sure. So where, uh, so I know you had a, you had a special offer for our listeners. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and where our listeners can go to find you? Sure. So if you go to redcloveradvisors.com slash marketing geek, there is a free CCPA guide um, that you can download and uh, kind of learn a little bit more about what the California law means um, for you. And there's also a variety of other resources sort of 
all throughout the site. Uh, but you can certainly head over to uh, rightcloveradvisors.com marketing slash marketing geeks to get started. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Well, uh, man, I, I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot more to this. I, I envision probably in the next few years, we're going to have to hit like 50 buttons just to get to a website, <laughs> you know, but, uh, um, uh, tell me, Jody, what are you most geeky about right at this moment? So my fond passion is healthy living. I love clean food, organic, clean, non-toxic living. So when I'm not doing privacy, I am finding healthy recipes or combing through ingredients on products. I Are you vegan that. or anything like that? I am a gluten allergy uh-huh. and I am dairy free, but I'm not vegan. Okay. Yeah. I, I talked to a lot of health coaches, so I know, I know how deep that topic can get. It so. can. <laughs> yeah. It can. Uh, what, one yeah. thing you could do is move to the Netherlands where they completely outlawed Monsanto. So that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you want the banks and Comcast to go away. I think uh, Monsanto should go away. Well, didn't, didn't Bayer just buy Monsanto too? Yeah. That was such a weird decision. Like that. Yeah. Well, I, I, if you bring the fam out here, our, our fans can hang out. I'll, I'll take you around, uh, show you the, 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 uh, neutral, uh, carbon neutral trains. It's, uh, it's quite quite an amazing experience, but uh, healthy living, I, uh, I'm all over that. Uh, Justin, what are you geeky about this week? Uh, you know, I just started the Bill Gates documentary on Netflix, which is pretty fascinating. Um, I don't know, I didn't know that much. I knew his like early story, but not his later story. So that's been kind of interesting to watch. Um, and for you, Jody, have you checked out that Cambridge Analytica movie? I th- think, what's it? Oh, the Hacks. Great Hack. The Great Hack. That's, a, that's an interesting oh, one God, that's um, good. on Netflix. That's good. Yeah. I don't think I have seen that oh. one. I've seen way too many movies on Delta, but they didn't yeah. have that one. It's a good one, though. It's a good. They go. <laughs> yeah. They go deep into uh, privacy law, and they go into the European Union, and um, they talk about Brexit. Yeah. They talk about the elections. It. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 really, especially in your area. I think you'll get a a, a big big kick out of it. Um, as far as my geek thing, I uh, I'm still learning guitar with uh, the Musician app which uh, is pretty great. And I just, I finally finished uh, season three of The Handmaid's Tale, which I believe <laughs> is probably one of the best shows ever to be put on television, period. It's so good. It's so good. And, and uh, the, the, the follow-up to Handmaid's Tale, The Testaments, has just been released. So you bet your boots I'm going to get the audio book <laughs> of that because my eyes kind of suck now because I'm old. So, uh, yeah. So that's... Uh, that's it. Uh, anything else you want to leave our, our listeners with before, uh, before we close up? Give us that link one more time too, yeah. please. <laughs> um, so the link is redcloveradvisors.com slash marketing geeks. I think the biggest thing is often privacy is sort of this annoying, you know, thing you have to do. There's this law. Um, it's confusing or who's ever going to find me. And I'm hoping that through the conversation here that people realize this is honestly the way that we can communicate to our customers that we care about them, that they're humans, that they're individuals. And it's honestly such an amazing opportunity to build trust with your customers. And there's these laws that are just kind of forcing us to do what we probably should already be doing. And when you get past all of that, it really boils down to tell the person what you're doing with the data and think about it first and give them some choices. Awesome. And if you wow them, they're going to stick with you. So they won't ever need to worry about the choices. 
Nice. Looking at, looking at customers as humans. That's a novel concept for some people. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Well, thank you. Though. Jody Daniels, everybody, CEO of Red Clover Advisors. That's uh, redcloveradvisors.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. We uh, so appreciate it. Uh, please come back in a few months and uh, give us an update. Uh, we would love to, to hear more about this. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. Thank you, Jody. That was amazing. That was really good. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, holy smokes, I learned a thing or two. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Our website is going to be the most privacy-centric, humanizing, data-free collector thing on the planet ever. It's, uh, yeah, we're, we're... You think so? Uh, you know... Maybe. It might be. It's possible. Maybe. Maybe. But you know what? Being that we know, like, like four of our seven listeners, personally, one of them is my wife. Um, and my wife listens yeah, sometimes. I don't know, man. My wife sometimes listens. But maybe we have 7.5 listeners. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh... To the show. Uh, if you want to help us out, you can leave a comment, even if you hate the show. Um, we don't really listen to one star comments, but we do kind of listen to constructive criticism. And uh, yeah, marketingpodcast.com. We are not selling supplements, we are not asking for anything, but just, you know, send it for your email address. We're going to start sending emails out to people. We love our listeners. Most important. And with that, stay classy.